like, you know, you, you look, I never studied Scientology, but I know people who do. And the basic thing they have you do is talk about something over and over and over and over until it becomes like, oh, I put my shoes on last night. And the idea being that you want to get to a place where even watching your parents in an automobile accident becomes something like, you know, I watched the news today or I saw my father, you know, slice up a pumpkin. So the point being that we now know there's ways to really quickly facilitate getting rid of these limiting beliefs and these negative fears. So anyway, I, I, I got one, rid of one of mine recently as well, what I was about to say. So it's fear and limiting beliefs that lower your vibration along with anger, resentment, and uh, guilt and shame, things like that. So the more you can release those things through processes like tapping, like NLP, like therapy, like aromatherapy, which we just talked about, there are many ways to do it, then the more you're a pure channel and, and the faster things can manifest through you because there's no resistance. It's resistance that creates the problem. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. It's how we learn and now it's your turn. Let's get it. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Our next guest is known as America's number one success coach. He's the co-author of more than 200 books, including The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be, The Success Principles Workbook, and of course, The Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which includes 40 New York Times bestsellers and has sold more than 500 million copies in 47 languages around the world. Our next guest, Jack Canfield, is featured teacher in the movie The Secret and has appeared on more than a thousand radio and TV shows, including The Oprah Winfrey Show, Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, The Today Show, Fox and Friends, and Larry King Live. He has conducted live trainings for more than, more than a million people in more than 50 countries around the world. He holds two Guinness World Record titles and is a member of the National Speakers Association Speaker Hall of Fame. Now, guys, Jack Canfield is a living legend, and many of you listen to this, probably most of you know who he is, and have, you have come across his work at some period of time. I was exposed to his work probably back in 1997 when I was, I was thinking it back, so I know exactly when. I was in grade nine. I was given the book Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul, and it was awesome, and I loved it, and I couldn't put it down. It was really impactful. And now that I think back, that was the first book, first personal development book that I ever read. And obviously, I wasn't even aware of personal development back then or personal growth, but I remember it impacting me. Then obviously the secret came out and that blew my mind. Ever since then, and I think this impacted a lot of people, the whole law of attraction was kind of exposed to the mainstream. A lot of people get it wrong. A lot of people don't really understand the law of attraction, which we get into fully in this episode. And there's some people that hate on the secret because they don't understand it, because maybe it wasn't clear about certain things. But if you practice the law of attraction and you practice the other laws. There's many other laws too. The law of attraction is a powerful one and there's certain things you need to do. It's not just about wishing for something and it happening. And me and Jack get into this during this, this interview. But The Secret was one of those things that really blew this wide open. And Jack's story in that movie was really, really interesting. I remember it specifically. And he gets into that. He tells you exactly that same story which I was super excited to hear about as well in this episode. And also his new book, The Success Principles Workbook, which is basically taking his massively successful success principles book and allowing you to have a workbook where you can kind of dissect it, go through it. And really the, the meaning of it is to absorb the book. Personally, I can relate to having a workbook because I don't, I don't 
absorb information from just reading. I really need to go in and dissect it and write it and highlight it for me to really get it. So this is awesome that he's offering that. And I highly suggest you guys go get that after this episode. And of course, you guys make sure you go follow Jack. Make sure you check him out because if you don't already, if you haven't been exposed to his work, I highly suggest you do. So this conversation, I was actually um, really nervous for because Although I've interviewed a lot of people, Jack Canfield is one of those people that I'm like, wow, I can't, I can't believe I'm interviewing this guy. I grew up with this guy. You know, I grew up listening to this guy's stuff. And a lot of you guys could probably relate. And it's really humbling for me, you know, to be able to um, have somebody like this come and join us. And I think it's really important for the direction of the show and the power that the show has. Because we have so many different kinds of people coming on the show. And I love it because at first when I started University of Adversity, I thought I always was going to have to really talk to people that a specific thing about adversity, like somebody needs to get hit by a bus and then come back and, you know, whatever, this crazy story. But then I realized what adversity actually is. And I realized that everybody goes through it. Everybody, all different walks of life. It doesn't matter. So I love capturing the adversity in all of these stories and all these different people and building this amazing community and this amazing culture around adversity. I want to be the place where you guys come for the lessons on what you need to do to overcome adversity. This is where we're going to get the best people, the most informative people, the most successful people, the most inspiring people, and I'm going to pull out their stories and I'm going to try my best to dissect it just like we did today. Today's conversation, when I finished, I was actually so incredibly happy with how it went and that I feel like we touched all the things I wanted to. So that's enough for me. That's enough of me talking. I just wanted to express my excitement for this guest. So you guys, get yourself a cup of coffee, a tea, a wine, whatever you do. If you're cooking, if you're working out, whatever it is, get ready. Let's get set up. Jack Canfield coming right up. And we're live. Mr. Jack Canfield, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you here. And especially right now with what's going on in the world. It's an interesting time, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's crazy. So what are, what are your thoughts right now? Where are you at with everything and how's it going for you? Well, first of all, I'm in great shape. I've been very healthy. I, I think I have a very strong immune system, so I'm not worried about anything like that. I'm 75, but at the same time, I eat a very uh, healthy diet. I take a lot of things that everyone says are antiviral in terms of herbs and things like that. I live in a three-acre estate that I've created. I grew up really poor, but because of Chicken Soup for the Soul and other successes, I've done very well. So uh, someone once said, or if you're sheltering at home right now in the lockdown, are you, is your home a sanctuary or is it a prison? And for me, it, it feels like a sanctuary. I, I work from home quite a bit anyway, except when I'm on the road speaking, which has stopped. And um, all the seminars that we normally lead, I'm not leading. So I have a lot more free time. Fortunately, I had a book come out on March 1st called The Success Principles Workbook. And I've been doing, I think I've done 40 podcasts and radio interviews in the last three weeks. And so um, I'm sitting in this chair quite a bit. I have to get up every hour or so, move around, exercise at night and so forth. Uh, my wife's wonderful. We're eating really good food. I have enough toilet paper. So yeah. it's, it's all good. And I think the good thing too is we created a lot of online courses the last couple of years. So normally a lot of people I know, including myself, you know, we've lost that speaking revenue. We've had to do some refunds for seminars. We've moved some into the future. We're doing some now virtually. But for me, you know, life goes on. Business is good. I haven't had to fire any staff. I don't plan to. When we had a recession in 2003, I think it was, and uh, I had uh, five staff at the time. I have 12 now. And uh, we said, look, we either fire somebody or we all take a 20% pay cut, is what it was. We all voted to take a 20% pay cut, including myself. So we got through it. We've also applied for an SBA loan, which we received for paying salaries for a couple of months. So that was good. Uh, very fast to do that. You know, acting fast is really important these days. So we pivoted our business and uh, life is good. 
Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I love that perspective. What do you think? So right now with people, where do you, how can they, I mean, I'll just kick it off with this. How sure. can people feed their soul right now in their, in this moment? Because some people are going through worse situations than others. People like myself, I work from home as well. So it's pretty much the same for me. So I'm just kind of keeping and going my routine and all that. Right. What do you recommend for people to feed their soul right now? Well, I, first you have to acknowledge that some people are dealing with difficult things. They've lost their job. They've been furloughed. Their company had to shut the doors. Um, we've, there are people that have lost people. My, the CEO of my company lost his brother-in-law to COVID-19. Wow. And uh, his sister-in-law is sick with it. His father-in-law is also sick with it. He's 94. So we'll see what happens. And I don't want to discount the pain that a lot of people are experiencing. I have friends that are doctors and medical care workers that are scared every day they go to work. They have to deal with the fact that they might get infected, bring that home to their children. So it's, uh, I don't wanna make light of the situation at all, but I think if you are sequestered at home or whatever you're doing, uh, feeding your soul is important. I think the biggest thing most people are doing is they're going into fear. And as uh, as I heard uh, Bruce Lipton talk about the other day, he talked about whenever we go into fear, we create what are called the fight or flight syndrome in our body. In other words, all the energy goes to our limbs, our legs for running away from it and our arms for fighting it. And it suppresses our immune system because fear originally was something you could deal with, like a tiger in the woods or an oncoming tribe of another tribe kind of steal your food or whatever. Mm. And you had to be able to fight. It didn't matter if your immune system was down, if you had a virus or you had a flu or you had a cold or you had a bacteria in your body, that was irrelevant if you did not run the tiger. So basically, when you go into fear now, we've got this pandemic, you can't see the virus, you can't really do anything about it. So we just end up in this uh, highly cortisol adrenalized situation where our immune system is depressed and you need your immune system to be strong right now. One of the things I've been doing is uh, referring everyone to one of my friends named Dawson Church, who has a website called EFT Universe, EFT for Emotional Freedom Technique, the tapping technique. And he's developed a meditation called the ECHO Meditation, ECO Meditation. It's about a 20-minute meditation that combines EFT tapping along with heart math, uh, quick coherence breathing, and some light meditation. And the cool thing about this, not only does it get you calm, so the energy goes from your amygdala up to your prefrontal cortex, which is where you can think creative thoughts and also rational thinking as opposed to fear, but it also, the research now, seven days in a row of this, increases the immunoglobins, which are the things that fight off viruses and bacteria, in your saliva, 113% increase. Now, the coronavirus has to come in through your nose or your mouth or your eyes, has to go through your throat to get into your lung. If your saliva is twice as uh, uh, strong to fight off viruses and, and things like that, you're going to be much more immune to not having that happen to you. So I think meditation is really important. I talk about the five M's, meditation and mindfulness, uh, stopping every hour and just checking in. Do I need to stretch? Do I need to move? Am I scaring myself with my negative thoughts? Am I watching too much news? How am I feeling right now? And if I'm not feeling good, then do something that would make you feel good. And the things that would do that, number one is movement. Movement brings you into the present moment. All fear is created by imagining something in the future that hasn't happened yet. In other words, even if there was a snake crawling toward you in your studio, in order for you to be afraid, you'd have to go into the future and imagine that snake's going to bite you and it hasn't bitten you yet. So in the moment, everything's fine. And for most people right now, everything is still fine. And you've got some food, you've got the toilet paper, you've got friends, you've got people you can talk to, you've got FaceTime, you've got, you know, you can watch the third season of Breaking Bad if you want to binge watch, whatever's there, we have lots of assets. But when we move and we, we're mindful and we move our body, uh, which is the second M is movement, what happens is movement brings you into the present moment. You see a lot of people out there now are, the, are putting things on TikTok and on Facebook where they're dancing. Uh, friends of mine did a virtual dance party the other night. They had 40 people with their computers in front of them. They had a DJ. The music came on. Everyone danced. They were drinking wine, having a good time with each other. 
I'm not drinking at the moment because I think that depresses your immune system, but that's a choice people get to make. So the second M is movement. And then music with the movement. Any music that uplifts you that has positive lyrics will feed your soul. So if you're watching the news and you're realizing another 25,000 people died or this thing's happening or it's breaking here, uh, that's not that great for your 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 vibration for keeping you high but if you're moving and dancing or if you're in your gym doing kickboxing or you're on your treadmill or you're lifting weights you know whatever it is bring you into the present the third m is mastery doing anything you're good at it's going to bring you into high vibration so when i play my guitar or play the piano when my wife is oil painting you know whatever something we're really good at when i'm writing when i'm doing these podcasts and so forth uh, i'm i'm high and so doing th- or doing something, getting better at what you're good at. You know, if I'm online looking at a guitar lesson, I go online and Vince Gill teaches me how to play the guitar better. How, how much cooler could that be? You know, yeah. so basically that brings you into the present moment as well. And the other thing is meaningful communication, being in communication, being authentically sharing with other people from your heart, not from what, you know, a lot of people now are pretending they're not as scared as they really are. A lot of people are, you know, but just be real with people, whatever it is. And if you do those things, they all bring you into the present moment and it it helps raise your vibration uh, as opposed to being in a state of fear. And I think reading uplifting literature, obviously the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, uh, any of the self-help books that are out there that that are there. There's so many videos on YouTube, Uh, so many people doing summits. I was just uh, looking at Marie Folio uh, being interviewed uh, by Pete Varga, and she was talking about uh, dancing, and she was talking about how, as entrepreneurs, you know, a lot of us are afraid to be selling things right now because we're in a situation where we don't want to seem insensitive to the people who don't have money. But we're small businesses, and small businesses need to survive. And so we're modeling for people that it is possible to keep your business going in a time. Not everyone's going to be able to afford it, but the people who can. And we can do discounts for people. We can do giveaways. There's lots of things we can do. I remember my co-author for Chicken Soup for the Soul, Mark Victor Hansen, once asked the Dalai Lama, he said, uh, sir, uh, what kind of, what's the best thing I can do for people that are poor, living in poverty? And the Dalai Lama said, don't be one of them, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. I didn't expect him to say that. But he said, be a model that it's possible to live a life of abundance and prosperity, even in the midst of challenge and and." Uh, things like the pandemic that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I, I love all those and I love how important it is to get into that vibration. That's why, I mean, I love these conversations because by the end of them, I talk about it all the time. It puts me in this vibration of, it is a high. It, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's a high. And if I do three of them in a day, I'm exactly. literally in that vibration all day. I know, that, me too. That I've compounds over time. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's like a life hack. You know? It is. It is. I've been doing like three to five a day, and all of a sudden, I start at nine. Next thing I know, it's like five o'clock, and I'm feeling really good. Yeah. So explain to us what vibration means, because I think a lot of people get it mixed up. You know, I talk about this stuff all the time, but I would love to hear it from you because some people say it's oh, it's woo woo. Some people talk about I don't know what where people are at with it, but. I, I, I find it so fascinating, and I would love your perspective on what is vibration. Well, everything's vibrating. Your voice sounds different than my voice because it vibrates at a different frequency. You're able to pick up FM 89.1 on the dial versus uh, 90.3 on the dial because there's a different vibration of a frequency of that radio station. And so music is a different vibration. The music of hip-hop versus the music of Mozart and Bach, they have a different vibration. Basically, it's a for, for humans, we experience it as a feeling. We either feel it in our body as a sensation, like someone hits you in the arm. You're, 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 you feel that vibration in your body. Mm. Uh, if you're happy, you're, you get emotional vibrations versus anger. It's a very different vibe. We talk about a room with good vibes and bad vibes. You yeah. know, the Beach Boys had a song way back when called Good, 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 Good Vibrations. We walk into a room, we can say, man, there's bad vibes here. I'm, I'm, you know, walk into a restaurant, walk into a bar, walk into a party. You can feel it. And yeah. so what does that mean? Everything we think and everything we, we, we say and do has a certain vibration to it. And it literally is a vibration like this. And the frequency is how fast does that vibration move per second, how many times it go up and down. And then there's a, the amplitude, like how high is that vibration? 
and our heartbeat's a vibration, our breath is a vibration. And so basically, we want to be in what we call a high vibration. Well, feelings like love, joy, gratitude, forgiveness, compassion, when we're in service, those are very high vibrations. It's why we're attracted to people who are funny, attracted to people who are loving, compassionate, and gentle, kind, or, or people that have a high vibration like Tony Robbins, because they're enthusiastic, they're alive, you know. The word enthusiasm is an interesting word. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek entheos. So entheos, meaning theology is the study of religion. Theos means God in Greek. So the more God that comes through you, the more spiritual energy that you're vibing out, the more enthusiastic you are. So someone who's like, uh, you know, they're not very enthusiastic. There's less spiritual aliveness in them than there is in someone who's really excited. I tend to be more calmer than I am jumping around and hitting my chest like Tony or someone like that. Yeah. But my vibration is very high because I live in a state of joy, a state of love and a state of gratitude all the time. Yeah, I love that. And it's, you know, anyone that's followed your work for a while, you can see that you have this, this nature to you, this, this this calm vibe, but you know, like something's going, something good is going on there, you know, yeah, and you, can, you yeah. can appreciate that in people too. And I, I noticed that in a lot of successful people, they, even people that live a long time, they just have this, this, this peace. They don't get a they don't seem stressed. You know, they, they right. really just have this aura to them. Well, when you realize that, well, two things, I'm 75 years old. So one of the things that happens. You look great, for, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I actually, most people think I look 10 to 15 years younger than I yeah. am, which I think I, biologically I probably am. I mean, I've been meditating since I was in my 20s. I've been taking supplements. I take about 40 to 50 pills a day to supplement all the things that are food that's being grown not as well as it used to be. Don't give us anymore. I use essential oils, which I've gotten really into lately. They all, the cool thing I learned just this last week is every essential oil has a different frequency, different vibration oh, we are really? talking about. And I just learned yesterday talking to somebody that you can put certain oils on certain parts of your body because they actually support the functioning of those organs, like your heart, your brain, your liver, your kidney. And um, there's a company called, um, um, what's it called? Young Living that has this essential oil called Thieves. This blew me away. This is so cool for the coronavirus. During the plagues back in Europe, there was a group of people who never got sick and they were thieves. They were the people going into people's homes and robbing their homes when they were sick because they couldn't fight back. And the king said, these people never get sick. Let's go capture them and find out why because we're losing too many people. Turns out they were all from like the, the Middle East and they, had, they, they all had more spices in their food. Things like cardamom, things like cloves, things like cinnamon, things like that. And so this one company has put all these different essential oils that are based on these um, foods, uh, these plants. And, and, and so people that are taking those thieves essentials aren't getting sick. And uh, so it, it's, it's fascinating when you think about it, that our body can be influenced by a vibration, whether it's a word that we hear, a sound we hear, a thought we think, a color we see, every color has a different vibration. We know, for example, that if you go into a hospital, almost every emergency room, when you come out of the operating room into where recovery, it's a light green wall. Well, what's the color of nature? It's green. What does your cat and dog do when it's sick? It goes out and eats grass and throws up. It's getting green vibration. What are we told to eat all the time? Green drinks, green smoothies. So uh, the color red, you know, put your red shoes on, red lipstick, you know, our lips swell up, our vaginas swell up and get red when we're excited. Uh, the uh, uh, fire trucks are red. So all these colors have a vibration to it. Uh, one company and they found that people were hanging out around the water fountain too much. I did the, read a book by a guy named John Ott, who was the color expert for Disney. And they said, if you don't want people to hang out around your water fountain or your, your room where the, you know, the, the microwave is and all that, uh, paint it orange. People do not like to hang out around orange that much. Really? Yeah. If it's a bright orange, they won't, they won't stay there. Uh, you know, and we also know, for example, that blue is a color that makes people feel like you're an authority. Olive makes people trust you. If, if I wear an olive shirt, people trust me. If I want to be a, if I'm going to the banking world and I'm talking to bankers, I wear a blue suit, white shirt, maroon tie. These are power colors. So uh, every color is sending off a different vibe. 
you know, today, most people I talk to like you are all wearing black, black t-shirts, black shirts, black sweatshirts, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's kind of the color of the age right now. Uh, and, and then it sends a certain vibe out, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, That's... vibration, we talked a lot about that, but everything is a vibration. And, and the, 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 the most important point of this all is that when you were in a high vibration, you attract other people. You know, if Robin Williams were still alive and he walked into a party, the entire group would walk over because they'd want to hear Robin. He'd make us laugh. We'd feel high. We'd humor something that raises a high vibration. If, if the Dalai Lama walked into a room, we'd all want to go over and be in his energy. This is really cool. We have a, uh, I live in Santa Barbara, California, and UCSB has a Tibetan studies department. And when the first a big grant was given. They did a fundraiser in Santa Barbara and the Dalai Lama came and he, there was a big party in Montecito where Oprah lives, not at her house, but in that same area. And the Dalai Lama stood near a rose bush when he was giving his talk. And a couple of months later, the rose bush dropped all of its thorns. It was the only rose bush with no thorns. That somehow Whoa. thorns are protective. And when you're around the Dalai Lama, there's absolutely no need to be protected. And so these storm bushes were actually affected by the Dalai Lama's energy. I mean, that's just outrageous wow. when you think about it. Yeah, very wow. Have you met the Dalai Lama? I have not met him personally. I've been invited to meet him several times, but uh, it's never worked out. I've met, I met a couple of his students uh, who were amazing. I met a guy in India last time I was there who was a student of Sai Baba, who was this guy who could go like this and drop rings into your hand that fit you and then do that and drop one into your wife's hand that fit her. And you know, be wearing a t-shirt. So this guy who was a student, we were at a dinner and he took me out to the garden. We're talking and he's wearing a white t-shirt. And all of a sudden he says, put out your hand. He goes like this and he drops these mala beads into my hand out of nowhere. And I said, how do you do that? And he said, <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, he said, well, it's taken me many, many years of meditation to learn to do that. It's called a city or a power. But basically, everything exists in physical form and it exists as an idea. And we take time for an idea to go into physical form. I, write, I think of a book, I write it, it takes me months, it gets printed and I have a book. But these guys are able to just imagine something with so much power that they just literally physically create it in the moment. I don't know how to do that. I've never decided to take the time to learn, but it's pretty wild. And when you think about that, it tells us we all have the power to manifest anything. Probably going to do it a little less slowly in Indiana than you do it in India, but it doesn't matter. It's worth, it's worth putting energy into learning the tools and principles of how to create the life you want. Yeah, that, it's very interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because manifesting is such a hot topic, but a lot of people get it mixed up, you know, especially I think a lot of people, you know, with the law of attraction and the secret and all that, it works for some and some deny it. Some say it's not like where are people missing? What, what steps are people make missing in manifesting? Well, one thing we just talked about, and I, I, I know some very high people, meaning they sit in very high consciousness. And, and one of them said to me recently, a guy who runs something called the BioCybernaut Institute, where he said, you know, one of the reasons you manifest so quickly, Jack, is you are very high vibration. You live in a state of love. You've forgiven all the people that ever harmed you. And so when you intend something, it has a lot of force behind it, a lot of powerful attraction. And so it's, it's I don't know how to say this. I don't have a good metaphor for it. But, but when you're in a high vibration where you don't have limiting beliefs, we all have limiting beliefs. I still have limiting beliefs. I mean, I just did a seminar recently where a guy was doing us, taking us back to some place we felt stuck in life. And again, using essential oils to facilitate. This is cool. We're going to talk about two things here. Perfect. When you smell an essential oil, it, 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 it stimulates the olfactory nerve, which goes from your nose past the amygdala into your hippocampus where memory is. So like, let's say a veteran, and he's got a memory of a, you know, watching his buddy blow up with an IUD in Afghanistan. And every time he hears a sound or hears something or sees something, it triggers that memory. If you take an essential oil like rose or, you know, thieves we talked about earlier, lemongrass, peppermint, whatever, and you're smelling that at the same time, that creates a positive feeling. Now the positive feeling is sitting right next to the negative memory, and it dissolves the negative feeling associated with the negative memory. Now it becomes a neutral memory. 
like, you know, you, you know, I never studied Scientology, but I know people who do. And the basic thing they have you do is talk about something over and over and over and over until it becomes like, oh, I put my shoes on last night. And the idea being that you want to get to a place where even watching your parents in an automobile accident becomes something like, you know, I watched the news today or I saw my father, you know, slice up a pumpkin. So the point being that we now know there's ways to really quickly facilitate getting rid of these limiting beliefs and these negative fears. So anyway, I, I, I got one, rid of one of mine recently as well, what I was about to say. So it's fear and limiting beliefs that lower your vibration along with anger, resentment, and uh, guilt and shame, things like that. So the more you can release those things through processes like tapping, like NLP, like therapy, like aromatherapy, which we just talked about, there are many ways to do it, then the more you're a pure channel and, and the faster things can manifest through you because there's no resistance. It's resistance that creates the problem. If we have a huge tube that water's flowing through, you know, it all works, it's fine. But recently uh, we had a drought in California and a lot of my trees were growing around the pipes underneath my house and eventually one of them broke the pipe went into the pipe and all of a sudden we see these roots coming up through our toilet on the first floor bathroom. Oh. And all of a sudden the toilet is not flushing because there's a block. And so, you know, we can't like, you know, you're not manifesting through that channel as it were. And so we have the same thing in our mind and our, in our consciousness. And we have to remove the blocks, which are the fears that come from imagining terrible things happening in the future. So you want to replace that with positive expectations. We do that through affirmations, visualization. We want to release our limiting beliefs, which we talked about in many ways to do that. Forgive people so we're not carrying that anger around. Because if I'm angry at you, I'm pushing my hands out. I'm blocking your energy. I don't mm. like you. When I'm doing this, I can't receive anything. I need my hands to be like this to receive. So when I let go of my anger, I let go of my resentment, then I'm available to receive that which I want to bring in. There's less static in the system, if you will. Mm. So that's why I think so many people, they may do the things that they read about in the, the secret or they see the movie or they read the law of attraction books that are out there. But the reason they're not manifesting is they have these limiting beliefs, fears, resentments, and so forth. So in my book, The Success Principles Workbook, for example, there are lots of exercises on how to release those limiting beliefs, replace them with positive beliefs, forgive the people you need to forgive, and so forth. It's just one aspect of it, but there's a lot of that in, in the book. Yeah, having the workbook is, is key, too. I remember when I, I needed that for Think and Grow Rich, too, the workbook mm -hmm. to kind of go through, because there's so much, and a lot of it is you got to write stuff down. You got to go through it. Yeah. So really, because like, how many people just read a book and then they don't do anything with what you kind of goes in one ear and out the other, right? It happens all the time. You got to do something. So having a workbook is key. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Think and Grow Rich. My mentor was a man named W. Clement Stone, who was a good friend of Napoleon Hill. In fact, they co-authored two books together. Uh, one was called, I wrote over here, it's called Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. And, um, W. Clement Stone said, you don't want to end up with shelf esteem. You've got all these books you've read and they're just sitting on the shelf, but you haven't actually done anything with them. Mm. And so it's the doing this. I almost, I almost called my, my, my success principles workbook. I was going to write it. The title is called uh, don't read this book. And, and the reason I wanted to do that was I didn't want people to read it. I wanted them to do it. So it's a book oh, to work smart. through. And as you, as you kind of intimated, there's a lot of worksheets you fill out. There's questions you go through. There's a series of questions that if you answer them, you start to have aha experiences. You begin to realize, oh, that's how I'm blocking myself. That's how I'm keeping myself stuck. And then how do I get through that? What's the opposite of that? And um, so the reason I wrote the workbook was that people had read the Success Principles book and sold over a million copies in yeah. 47 languages, I think now. Amazing. But the fact is that a lot of people weren't doing it. And I noticed the people that went through our coaching program, the people that took our live seminars, their lives were transforming. They were doubling their income in a year, doubling their time off, losing weight, getting out of terrible marriages, you know, producing, writing their book for the first time, starting a podcast, whatever it might be. And... So I said, could we put our coaching program between the covers of a book so if people just did each exercise as they go through the book, 
they would end up getting the same results that people that went through our coaching program. So we actually tested that with 30 people who had never been exposed to my work, just gave them the workbook in a manuscript form, said, do this for, you know, a couple of months, come back. And the results were phenomenal. So we know it works. Mm. You know, it, it should almost be a prerequisite when you read a book, right? It should almost be that sort of that having to go through it. I mean, it's part of this, the, the part yeah. of learning. Yeah. Well, I, if I ever write another book in the future, which I am right now, I'm writing two actually, uh, wow. there's going to be workbook pages in the book. Yeah. Uh, so it, the book will be combined with that in order to make people, in fact, there's several places in my book where it says, if you're still reading this, it means you haven't done the form <laughs> on the previous page. Stop, go back. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Things like that. What? A, okay. So I want to ask you about becoming an author because this selfishly, this is a question coming from me. And I know there's a lot of people who want to write, write, uh, write books and become sure. one. And this keeps popping up with me, people approaching me to write a book or different things. And I'd love to know, how does somebody go and write a book? And how do they write a book that's actually going to be, you know, monumental or a bestseller like yours? Like how does... Mm-hmm. Walk us through a bit of that journey with you because I know it wasn't always easy for you when you became an author. Well, I think you first have to have something to say. You know, what is it you want to say? Mm-hmm. And my first book uh, was a book of self-esteem activities for teachers back in 1976. And I had been teaching that for probably five years. So I had an experience of what worked and what didn't work. So I was coming from experience. When I wrote The Success Principles, I had been applying these principles to my life. As you can see behind me, a lot of books. I've read 3,000 books. And, you know, that's about, a, I was reading a book a day. It only takes 10 years to read 3,000 books if you do that. I took a speed reading class in college wow. and realized that, you know, learning was critical and if you could learn quickly. And then what you learn eventually is most of the books you read now in the self help world. of it you already knew because it's in there. There are certain principles that are basic. You can kind of skim through those. And then there's new stuff that's usable, a good story, a nuance, a new technique, whatever. Um, But the idea is make sure you've got something worth saying. And at the same time, I would say to someone like you and all your listeners, you don't have to write the the groundbreaking book that's going to be a bestseller for the whole world. You may only have 20,000 followers. But if your 20,000 followers are following you because you have a certain vibration, a certain field you're in, a certain take on a field, a certain set of information you might have, then write for that group. You know, and and if you want to write a best-selling book, it has to be universal, meaning it's going to reach a lot of people. So, for example, if you write a book for women, half the world's women, that's a big audience. You know, with Chicken Soup for the Soul, it was anyone that breathes in and out that has feelings, that was a book that could relate to them. Chicken for the soup for the teenage soul. At any given time in America, there are about, you know, 19 million teenagers. So that's a large market. You know, we sold 10 million books to that market. That was the one I read in grade nine. I read Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul. It was awesome. There you go. And I meet a lot of people make me feel very old when they go, yeah, I read your book when I was a kid, you know, Um, but that's okay. The thing (laughs) that you want to do is now let's talk about how to write a book and then how to write a bestseller because there's two different things here. One way to write a book is if you're giving talks if you're, or if you're doing interviews like this, capture that somehow, record it, have it transcribed. I use Rev. Some people use Otter. It doesn't matter, but you can send stuff off now and have it transcribed and get it back within 24 hours. A friend of mine named Lynn Twist has amazing stories. She's just an incredible storyteller. I said, Lynn, all your stories have to go in a book. She said, I don't have time to write a book. I know how to write a book. I said, here's what you do. You're going to come down to my house. I'm going to invite 10 or 12 of my friends over for two days. We're going to sit in my living room. You're going to sit on a bar stool. We're going to put a, 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 a Mevo in front of you. We're going to record what you say. And we're going to send it off to Rev. And within a few days after you're gone, you're going to have all your stories back typed up perfectly. And we did that. So in two days, she generated a book. Now it's taken her a couple months to edit it and, you know, resequence things and put in details she might have left out and so forth. But literally, you know, it's a two-month book project and she'll have a best-selling book. Another way is to have someone interview you. You might know a lot of stuff because you've interviewed so many people. You have your own field of expertise that you teach. You might not think you want to sit there and type it. You don't know where to start. Just have someone interview. So where do you start? Why is it important? What are the steps? How do you do it? Now you have what I call vomit copy. You've got copy on paper. 
that you can edit. Uh, the other thing is you can dictate it. You, we now have all these programs in our computers, our cell phones, where we can just sit and talk, and it types. You know, that's, yeah. is it perfect? No. Would it take a few hours to edit it? Yes. Is it easier for some people to talk than type? Absolutely. Um, so once you have what I call vomit copy, you've just vomited all the concepts you have onto the page. Some people like to outline, they use mind mapping. There's a lot of ways to play with it. I tend to think about what's everything I know about a topic and then what is a story that illustrates it? What's a principle? What's a how to, what's an action step, etc. And then I have the skeleton. Then I go in and I write, write the book. Now, once you've got that done, the next step, if you want a bestseller, is you have to have at least 20 to 40 people read your manuscript and give you feedback. You know, Robert Kiyosaki's last book, he asked, I think, 2,000 people to come online, read each chapter, and give him feedback. Now, two things are valuable about that. He got feedback from 2,000 people. This is what works. This doesn't work. I'm confused. You said that in chapter one, whatever. He also had 2,000 people who were going to buy that book because they were part of helping create that book. We know from research that anything people help create, they want to purchase. They want to own what they helped create. So that was very valuable as well. With Chicken Soup for the Soul, we had a, re a reader panel of at least 100 people for every book. Sometimes the same people, sometimes new people, depending on what the book was about. For Teenage Soul, we actually had one of our Teenage Soul books. We had a whole high school suspend classes for a day. And all the kids read chicken soup stories from this manuscript of 200 possible stories, and they graded them on a scale of 1 to 10. We then take a, an Excel spreadsheet, and we put all the people's names down, all the stories across, and the, every story gets graded. And then we look at the average score of each story. Anything less than a 9, we never published. So, you know, if a story scored 8.2, well, it's nice, but it's not going to make it a bestseller. But if a story scored 9.9 or 9.8 or 9.7, it was great. And we learned, you know, not every story is going to be 9.9. .9. So you start with nines and tens. You end with nines and tens because there's this concept called recency and primacy. When a person starts to read your book, you want them to go, this is incredible. I'm going to tell my friend it's a great book and I'm going to keep reading. And then if you have some stories that are not quite as good, you put a few of those in, but you can't keep doing that too long. You have to have another 10. So it keeps riding along. And then is there humor in the book? You look at chicken soup books. If you remember, we had cartoons in those books. Mm. So about every five to 10 pages, there was something to laugh at. If you're leafing through the book at a store, you see a cartoon, you immediately stop because you want to read the caption. And you get a positive identification with the book. Oh, this book makes me feel good. And so uh, that's important. Stories. If you're writing a book, I had a guy who's writing a book on real estate investing. It was all theory and concept and stuff. I was running a bestseller retreat at my house for authors to make, show them how to write best-selling books. And I said, where's your story? There's no stories in here. People are moved by stories. That's what's going to make them want to read your book and believe in you and would do the things you're teaching. And so if you look at the success principles book, even in the workbook, we put stories of people that have used that principle and you go, oh, Steve Jobs did that and helped him. I guess that would help me. You know, this person that swam from, Diana and I had, who swam from Cuba to, to Florida. You know, there's a story yeah. in there about perseverance. I mean, she tried three times and failed, but then she came back again in her 50s and actually swam, you know, 90 miles. So there's inspiration plus information plus motivation plus perspiration, which is the activity. When yeah. you do all of that, then you're going to get success. It's amazing how stories move people. It's yes. almost like it goes back to our tribal days around the fire or something, you know, getting read these, these stories. And as a kid, we're read stories. And it's fascinating because as, as adults, we're, that's, what, that's, what gets, that's, that's what sucks us in. It's like that in marketing, anyone that can tell a story and walk you through the journey that you feel like you're actually there, you feel like, I'm just like this person. I, yes. I, I know what they mean. They're a human yes. too, just like me. Yeah. Well, look at me. I started out, I grew up in West Virginia. My dad made $8,000 a year. It's eight with three zeros. And I went to school on a scholarship. I graduated from the half of the class that made the top half possible. I went to graduate school on a scholarship. I worked my way through graduate school. I was a part-time teacher. I got a check for $129 every two weeks. 
Now my rent was $79. So it meant the first two months, two weeks of the month, I had to live on $50. Wow. So I was eating like these 21 cent dinners, which was contadina, tomato paste, garlic, salt, salt, pepper, water, and 11 cent noodles. And today it would be the ramen noodle diet, but we didn't have ramen noodles back then. <laughs> and, you know, I, I know what it's like to be poor. I took the bus to work, you know, I would basically, when I got my second check, I would go across the street to an all-you-can-eat for $7.99 Italian place, and I ate a lot. <laughs> and, I, and that was my one extravagance of the, of the year. But for two years, I lived like that. It was a, uh, My apartment was $79. It had a Murphy bed that came out of the wall. You sleep on it. Your clothes are hanging behind it. You put it back up. Now you can walk around the room. There was one table where I ate my dinner, graded papers for the kids, studied for school. I had a two-burner stove, a little refrigerator like you'd see in a mini bar in a hotel, and a bathroom where you could hardly move around without hitting your knee on everything. So I know what it's like to be poor. And fortunately, I met a guy during that period of time who said, I want you to go to this lecture series with me. It was called The Living Philosophers. There was a guy named Herbert Otto, who was the uh, director of the National Center for the Exploration of Human Potential. And they were exploring things like fire walking and how much of your mind are you using, how many languages could you learn, et cetera. And he inspired me when he said, you're only using 10% of your mental capacity. I said, I want to use more. And he told me about some workshops I could take. And I went and took these workshops on personal development. It was my first exposure to it. Changed my life. I think I took the first year, 17 workshops. I ran out of money. You know, I started volunteering. Can I, can I hand out Kleenex? Can I take tickets? Can I move chairs around before the seminar? And because I was so committed, they let me do that. And the next year, I took 37 weekend workshops. And I started reading all these books you see behind me. My life transformed. And I went from making, uh, I think, the next year when I actually had a full-time teaching job, I was making about $18,000. And within three years, I made $100,000 because W. Clement Stone, my mentor, said he challenged me. I want you to set a goal. You don't know how to do it. Just commit to it, visualize it, affirm it. The how will show up. And sure enough, it did. That's a story I tell in the movie, The Secret. Yeah, I know. I love that. <laughs> That's classic. So many people, you know, it's, it's so nice to hear those stories, those human stories, mm -hmm. right? In, in actual, that actually happened. And that's because so many people think because somebody becomes successful that they're different or something, but everybody has had to, this is why I love, you know, my show university of adversity, because everybody's got to go through some sort of challenge and some sort of something so that they can learn and grow from and kind of look back and be like, this is, this is, this is the story. This is how I did it. Sure. And that inspires people because each one of those is different. And there may be something in each story that's like, Ah, uh, they click, and it's and it's. I can relate yeah. to that person, so that inspires me to step into my power. You know, absolutely. Look, I I bankrupted my first business. It was a retreat center in Massachusetts, and we went belly up. I moved to California and was living very poor for a while because I moved out here. No one knew who I was, and um, but I someone created this idea called a one year seminar. If you could get a hundred people to pay you thirty dollars uh, a, a month you'd have $3,000 income, which back then was plenty of money to live on. Mm. And so I got 100 teachers to pay $30, either to hear me or some other educator talk about how to build self-esteem in the classroom. Mm. And so literally working two days a month to deliver that, uh, the rest of the time I could write. That's when I started writing my books. And you know, I've been through two divorces. Uh, the first one was a five-year marriage, never should have got married. But I was, my self-esteem was so low that when I realized I shouldn't get married, I couldn't tell 250 people, don't come to the wedding because they already had all their reservations. <laughs> oh. I got two great kids out of it, though. And my second marriage lasted 20 years. I lost half my wealth. I got to keep my job, as I say. They valued my business at about $13 million. And They took all the money and gave it to my wife, and I got to keep my business. So as I said, I got to keep my job. Yeah. I was wearing my shirts three and four days in a row before I'd send them to the cleaners, wearing T-shirts underneath them so I could you know, wear them mm -hmm. over and over. Um, you know, but I built it back up again. And I would say this. Every adversity, you know the great quote from Napoleon Hill, every adversity has within it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. I used to think when I got screwed in my marriage, you know, the divorce, uh, this is not fair, and blah, 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 blah. Well, later, 
And I had offered my ex-wife, I said, I'll give you half of everything I earn for the rest of my life if you'll let me keep half of the, the money in the land and stocks and all that. And she said, no, I don't want to do that. And so she got, in my mind, pretty much everything. But, you know, about 10 years later, we sold Chicken Soup for the Soul to a group in New York for, I mean, well over $60 million. Let me just, I can't tell you the exact number because it's a confidentiality agreement. But I would have had to give her half of that. And that, which was way less than what I gave her when I got divorced. So oh. every adversity is actually an opportunity. And you look back on the marriage that failed and you go, thank God I'm not still with that person. Or that job you got fired from. I got fired from a job once, not rehired because I was, I had a beard back in the seventies and they thought I was a hippie and you know, I wasn't, but I just like to have a beard. Uh, <laughs> but they decided they weren't going to rehire me. So I know what that feels like. But because of that, I got a job. It was much better. Met W. Clement Stone, my mentor. So everything that happens to us, I always say, what's the opportunity that this is? What's the growth opportunity? And now I know I've survived everything that ever happened to me, and it's always turned out better. So now I just look for that. I expect that. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I, I'm noticing that as well. You, you can't retreat. You got to lean into that because you know they're going to have a gift on the other side. There's always there some go. sort of reward. Yeah, exactly. There, there always is. As much as it's uncomfortable, that uncomfortable feeling is going to be that much better once you get over it. Yet we exactly. all want to be, we all want to be so comfortable all the time, and you know, we we retreat. And getting comfortable with that adversity and that challenge is is something that, you know, I take pride on in my own life. Because sometimes if I have this discomfort or why is this happening, instead of becoming the victim. I really trying to become empowered to the situation. Like this is going to teach me something I may not know right now. It's okay to feel it, but I know that this is going to move into something better. That's right. Yeah. Don't deny the feelings you're having, have them, yeah. but move through them, release them. There's a, uh, you know, those two quotes that everyone's seen a million times. Now everything you want that you don't have is just outside your comfort zone. And the other one is everything you don't have is just on the other side of fear. So if you were willing to step through the fear out of your comfort zone, a friend of mine was down in, was it Ecuador? Yeah, Ecuador, in the rainforest. And um, they were on the side of a volcano uh, down there. And the shaman said, the problem with the people of the north is you're all addicted to comfort. Mm. And so think about it. We're addicted to comfort. We get upset when our air conditioner breaks down or, or if you know, the, it gets too hot uh, or if we have to go farther to get our groceries or like we have to now distance ourselves six feet. We can't go through Whole Foods as fast as we used to. The line's longer, you know, <laughs> it's like, so what? It's like, no big deal. You just have to live with it. And I know that for me, the first talk I gave, my legs were shaking. I was holding on to a podium. If the podium hadn't been there, I probably would have walked off the stage, you know, and then now you can't get me off the stage. I, I love talking. The first time I drove a car, you know, I was really nervous. I was awkward. Now no problem. You know, one of the things I ask people to do a lot is uh, just go ahead and fold your hands like this. Hmm. Notice which thumb is on top. Is it your right thumb or your left thumb? My left. Okay. Now take it and fold it so the other thumb's on top. Don't just move your, your okay. finger, your thumbs. Yeah. Move all the fingers. How does that feel? It's awkward. It's awkward. It's weird, strange, yeah. wrong, yucky, right? <laughs> yeah. What does your body want to do? It wants to go back the other way. <laughs> so let it go back. How's that feel? Better. Better. Now, that's why most people never achieve their goals, because they'd rather be comfortable. I want to go back to the old way, which felt comfortable, yeah. and be awkward for a while. But yeah. the first time you do a podcast, the first time you ask someone for a favor, the first time you ask a big famous celebrity to be on your show, first time you give a speech, first time you ask a girl out for a date, all those things are awkward. They're uncomfortable. Yeah. First time I, I was a psychotherapist for a couple of years, and the first session I had with the person in my office it was terrible. I think that's why they call it a private practice because you're practicing in private. No one can see how bad you are. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I got better. And the only way you can get better is to survive a risk. That's what builds confidence. Every time you do something and you survive it, you feel confident, more confident, yeah. more confident. And eventually you feel like no big deal. So you have to be willing to go through the awkward stage. Little kids will do it. You take the computer. They'll go in there and do all kinds of stuff. 65 year old, you're afraid to touch it, you know, uh, yeah. cause you're afraid you're going to screw it up. So we need to regain that, that, that willingness as a child to just fall down, make mistakes and learn from them. Yeah, that's so true. It's funny. You know, I've almost done 200 episodes, but every single time, even coming into a conversation like this, I still have that 
that nervous feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think I'm starting to love that because that like, it just reminds me that I'm human and I'm, I'm, I love that. It's just excitement too. I was going to say it's excitement. Yeah. 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 And you know, there's always, there's been times in the past I'm, you think I'm like, Oh, I hope they cancel today because I'm, I'm scared <laughs> because I have that fear. Right. But right. every single time I go through with it, I'm at the end, like, I just feel like, yes, that was such an awesome thing because the old me would have probably thought of a reason to retreat or something. And now, you know, just getting on calls and, and, and interviewing people and talking to them has just been like this like amazing build of confidence. Yeah, like it's just completely changed the way I, I look, how I speak and everything. And I haven't spoke on stage yet like yourself, but I can only imagine what that must do and, and that thrill you must get every time. And that doesn't go away. But the butterflies, that excitement is great. Yeah, one of the things I would recommend to you and anybody, anytime you're about to do something that's new and uh, uncomfortable, I remember the first talk I gave to a national conference and I was following a guy named, what was his name? He was a, he wrote the power of uh, how to make friends and influence people. It's a famous classic book. And so it'd be like following, you know, Barack Obama today or somebody. And I actually had to follow Bill Cosby once. That was a little intimidating. But I got up there and I said, well, that's the best warm-up act by a comedian I've ever had. Got a big laugh from the audience. Made me feel better. But I remember I was going to speak to about a thousand people at a conference of people who ran boys clubs. So I went into the men's room and I went into a stall, didn't take my pants off or anybody sat down and I just closed my eyes and I visualized the audience giving me a standing ovation. And so now when I walked out on stage, I already had a standing ovation in my mind. So before you do anything new, just imagine doing it and getting the result you want, having, you know, being comfortable, remembering all your lines, people laughing at your jokes, people coming up afterwards and congratulating you, getting a standing ovation, other people saying, wow, I want you to speak at my conference, what's your fee, you know, people asking for your card, asking you to sign your book or your picture or whatever it is you're handing out. If you do that, we know the body can't tell the difference between a real event and a vividly imagined event. So literally, you're rehearsing in your mind, getting comfortable doing the thing you're afraid to do, such that after a while, you've done it so many times in your mind, it's like no big deal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. I completely agree. And I wish I, when I was, I grew up playing hockey, you know, pretty high level. And I used to have people talk about sports, you know, visualization, you know, before you get, you know, how, when you're doing the breakout and what you're going to do. And I didn't really take it serious. But now I can see that the times where you get, you have trouble and the times that you may throughout, you know, in, in there's certain ways, like when you're breaking out of your end, whatever sport you're in, that you may struggle with. And I struggled with breaking out of my end because I would have a guy coming at me and body checking me. And I'd always kind of worry because of a couple times I got hit with my head down. Mm-hmm. So if... It, whenever I did rehearse that in my mind, when it happened, I would, I would know what I was doing already. Yes. Like, but, there was, but I resisted that. And I think a lot of people do. You, and and I, he had talked about, imagine what it feels like to have your gear on, the sweat. Like, put yourself exactly in that position and, and exactly the route that you got to take. And when I did it, it worked. But it's one of those things that now talking about it again, I don't think a lot of people really value that enough to really put yourself in that exact feeling because and rehearse it over and over again it's just yeah. so powerful yeah well it's funny I, I was up in canada doing a talk and i saw a, an interview with the coach of the calvary calgary stampede yeah. football team and uh, he was talking about this guy who was dropping all his passes and and, the, and it, what, he said to the guy after a while, he said, when you go out there and you're about to do, run a pass pattern, what are you thinking? He said, I'm, I'm hoping I don't drop the ball. He said, well, what are you focused on? Dropping the ball. What image comes into your mind? Dropping the ball. So yeah. what the coach did is he made a video reel of his like 20 or 30 best catches ever. And he said, I want you to watch this every day for at least four or five times. And now he started seeing himself catching the ball, catching the ball, catching the ball, catching the ball. And then he said, every time you go out there, imagine catching the ball. He did well. I was watching a, an interview with John Gordon, who wrote the book, The Energy Bus, and he was talking about this football player he was coaching. He was a, a field goal kicker, a place kicker. And um, 
he said the first year he did really, really well. And when he came to John, it was his second year. He wasn't doing well. And he said, well, what was it like your rookie year? He said, oh, my God, I'm living my dream. I'm doing everything I wanted to do. So I'm so happy. He said, so what changed? He said, well, in the preseason, I missed a couple of kicks. And now I go out there and I don't want to let the coach down. I don't want to let the team down. So he's focusing on letting the team down, focusing on letting the coach down. So you always have to be focusing on what you want, not what you don't want. Because as soon as you're focused on what you don't want, that's what your mind is picturing. And we always create outwardly what we're pitching inwardly. Ah, that's so true. Oh, I love that you brought that up. These are so many things that I'm, they, they are just so important. And we, cause yeah, it's so easy to get caught up on what we don't want versus what we do want and what can happen if we don't do the thing versus what can happen if we do do the thing. Right. You know? Right. It's, it's such a simple thing. And I, and even how we speak to ourselves, I can't do this instead of, I can do this. I mean, why can't we? It's, it's just the conversations with ourselves that stop us so many times. Yeah. Somebody said the other day, I was listening to some, I've been, I've been on a lot of podcasts. I've been listening to some just because there's a lot of these summits going yeah. on that people are doing, which is great because everyone's you know, trying to help people out right now. And um, he was talking about this guy who was a, um, the only person that's ever won two years in a row, what are called a double, a double triathlon, where you do a triathlon one day and you do another triathlon the next day, which is like almost inhuman. And what he said was it was different than everybody else. He said, he said, I learned not to listen to myself. He said, because if I listen to myself and saying, you can't do this, you're going to die. You're, you know, you're going to run out of energy. This is too hard on your body, you know, whatever. He said, instead, I've learned to talk to myself. I encourage myself. I say, you can do this. This is possible, whatever. So the part of you that is your, conditioning is going to tell you you can't do it the part of you that is your grit that is your encourager that's your inner coach versus your inner critic that's the part you want to identify with take control of and willfully intentionally use in order to stimulate the response that you want and most of us uh, you know things like self-talk we hear those phrases but do you really take time to start being intentional about your self-talk reading books that are positive. So you start thinking that way, doing affirmations. A lot of people poo-poo affirmations as, you know, new age gobbledygook, but it's true. Every thought you think is creating a vibration, is creating a a biochemical reaction in your body. Mm. You can literally think yourself sick or you can think yourself healthy. You know, we see people that have spontaneous remissions. No one knows why. They started visualizing themselves healthy. They started thinking healthy thoughts. They started using affirmations, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's so important to manage your states and manage your mind. And unfortunately, I don't know where you went to school, but where I went to school, there were no courses called self-science education, success 101, how to live a happy life, how to manage your states, how to manage money, relationships 101, all the things you really need for happy life. I mean, when's the last time you needed the five causes of the Civil War, the three exports of Brazil, or how to parse a sentence? Trigonometry. Trigonometry, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I I walked out of high school so confused. I didn't know how money worked. I didn't know how to do my taxes. I didn't know... Even, even just the basic life things, I felt lost. And, yeah, yeah. We don't and, teach life skills. I mean, no. fortunately for me, people pay a lot of money to learn what they should have learned in school. Yeah. But the reality is it's sad. I think we really should have an education that includes the things we're now doing online and in hotel rooms and so forth. I agree. I just want to say thank you so much because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. This has been amazing and I'm just, I feel blessed to have you on the show. So I you know, thank you for taking the time to come and hang out with us, Jack. My pleasure. Can I just tell everyone Absolutely. I've got this new book out. It's called The Success Principles Workbook. Absolutely. You can get it at all the usual places like Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. However, if you'd like to get a uh, bonus, which is an hour and a half seminar with me, where instead of just kind of going all over the place, we methodically go through these principles so that you can actually begin to apply them. Uh, you go to the Success Principles Workbook dot com forward slash order and it'll it'll guide you through there to amazon or barnes and noble books and million but you'll get a, a bonuses one of which is this hour and a half um webinar i did recently which is profound we had about five thousand people listen to it in the first couple of days and um it i promise this it'll change your life it's about the cost of four cups of coffee at starbucks 20 bucks and you can't go to starbucks now anyway so 
yeah. spend it on something that will uplift you and get you into a place where your life will work a lot better than it has been. Amazing. We'll have all the information in the show notes for everybody to check that out. I'm going to get one myself. Be crazy not to you guys. I mean, I, I personally, just like we talked about, having that workbook is key for, for, for people like myself that can't comprehend reading as well. Like I have to do the exercises. So thank right. you for creating that because that's super important. My pleasure. My pleasure. It was and, something I wanted to do and I did it. So thank awesome. you. Awesome. Where else can we check you out to make sure that uh, we, we find you and explore just, anything you're up to? Just go to jackcanfield.com, just my name.com. And there's all the online courses we have, our train the trainer program, audio programs, just everything will support you. Uh, there's a lot of free resources as well. A lot of blogs and podcasts and things. So it's all there. Jackcanfield.com. Awesome. For the last question, what is one takeaway? What is takeaway for the audience? I always ask, what is one lesson that adversity has taught you? I would say having gone through so many adversities over the course of the years that I can survive anything that ever happened to me. And that no matter what shows up, you have the capacity to handle it. I don't think the universe ever gives you something you can't handle. And I think the corollary of that is it doesn't give you a dream that you can't manifest. So if you, if you feel a dream in your heart, I want you to know that you can achieve it. You may have to learn some new things. You may have to partner up with some people you haven't partnered up with yet. You may even need to get some certificate you don't have. But adversity will challenge you to uh, bring forth your mastery. It will challenge you to develop high qualities like love, compassion, perseverance, courage, patience, things like that. Without those challenges, we can't develop strengths. Mm, love it. Wow. Thank you so much. Jam-packed hour full of, uh, of value there, Jack. Thank you, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. The legendary Jack Canfield, everybody. Thank you, everybody. We're going to have all of Jack's information in the show notes to go get his book. And I highly suggest you follow him. And if you're one of those people that haven't seen some of his work, go check it out. As you guys have listened, if you listen to this right till the end, he is just an awesome, awesome human being and just setting, setting the bar for others like myself to really show the level of professionalism, the level of humility, and you know, just what I want to strive for as somebody of success. And Jack is one of those people. So if you haven't already, please subscribe, guys. Stay on top of all the episodes. And if you got value from this, screenshot it, share it with a friend, do what you can. I love you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Have an amazing day. We'll catch you next time.